What if you grew up in a belief system that told you everything around you was an illusion? What if you were told everything that happened to you, from being sick to stubbing a toe to being bullied at school, was your fault for not knowing the truth? What if you were denied even the most basic health care, from pain pills to checkups to vaccinations? How do you unravel yourself from this belief system? And what happens when you do? My name is Hillary Alexander, and this is Leaving Christian Science. Welcome to episode three of Leaving Christian Science. Uh, today I'm interviewing Elizabeth, who is one of the admins of the ex-Christian Scientist Facebook groups. So we've kind of been around each other, I would say, for probably at least 10 years or so. Yeah, and sort of aware of each other. We're also Facebook friends outside of the groups. So we kind of know each other's lives a little bit. Yep. Um, so uh, I guess we'll start at the beginning. Tell me when Christian Science came into your family's lives. Um, I, so on my dad's side, he was born into it. Um, my grandfather encountered it from a CS chaplain in the war. I'm not sure which one. Um, probably World War II. Um, and then on brief leave, he ended up in the town my grandmother was from, where she was busy being 15 years old, um, and uh, asked her to marry him. And she and her best friend married him and his best friend before he went off to war. Um, and then he came back, uh, I suppose, at that point and announced that they were going to be Christian scientists. Um, and this is largely viewed by my their children, my dad and, and my uncle, as a good thing. Um, and perhaps it was because they both came from a rough family background. Um, and and it seemed to basically bring them up in their behaviors, in their expectations, in their, and of course they were very much part of the um, prosperity aspect of Christian science and trying to show all of that. Um, my mom was also born into it. Um, it went back one generation further on my maternal grandmother's side, her parents got into it. My mother's mother was born into it, my mother was born into it. Um, my mother's dad, um, also encountered it from a chaplain mm, interesting um and i believe his that might be wrong because i think his mother was a christian scientist he was like the second he was he was positioned as you are in the family so there was like a gap in time and then he became a new child of the new family blended family and his mother i think was a christian scientist so he had older siblings who weren't um my grandmother's mother is the big dramatic story so she had some kind of a stomach ailment which is so classic, so classic CS testimonial, like all the stuff in the books. I had a dyspepsia. Um, so she was in the hospital with a stomach ailment. And so the story goes. There's I always a big story. story. Yeah. So the story goes, um, she was about to have her stomach removed, which I imagine was a very bad idea in 1920 or whatever it was. Um, and her husband had, I don't know if he'd heard us yes, you saw a journal in the lobby of the hospital, something like that, um, contacted the first person he was led to put his finger on. She happened to be down in, in Texas and she said, um, I'll be there 
tomorrow I'll leave on the first flight and I'll be there. And he's like, no, you got to come now. Like she's, 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 she's dying. They're going to take her. And she's like, I'll be there tomorrow. And this was like a very, you know, wow, they're so centered and powerful. Confident. <laughs> or, or that was not enough urgency. Yeah. Um, so the, so, and I think she said something like, you know, by the time I get there, she'll be out of bed or something. And so he relayed this message to her, which I sometimes think about what the tone of that message might have been. Like, this is a woman trapped in the hospital who's being told she's dying and her stomach's about to be taken out. And then her husband, who didn't look like the friendliest guy in the world from the pictures, um, her husband, you know, and informs her that she's not going to have this surgery. And uh, this practitioner's flying in to, to tell her some stuff. I, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't know. Maybe it was like really sweet, <laughs> but it just feels kind of terrifying. So by the time the practitioner arrived the next day, she was out of bed and eating. Because of course the practitioner had been doing prayerful work for her all this time. Yeah. yeah. And I and I wonder how maybe scared she was. And and she was like, I guess I better eat something. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that's so frustrating is we'll never really know the stories behind these so-called miraculous healings. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the wisest things I heard, it might've actually been your sister, Madeline, one of the widest, wisest things I heard somebody say in group um, that you, um, you, you enter into Christian science with some sort of a complaint, which is possibly anxiety related. And the the practitioner that you make contact with becomes a, a therapist of a sort and you go on thinking that it works until you have an actual health crisis at which point you go under because you think it's going to work again yeah um, and I think that might be the simple truth behind a lot of this like you, you thought it healed you but it just made you stop freaking out or it or you know maybe the medicine wasn't as evolved yet at that point and so you got a better result by stopping it. Yeah. And then it worked for 40 years until you actually had a heart problem. And then, oops. All of a sudden it's not working. Yeah. And I've heard from other groups, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty obsessed with Nexium. And one of the things that one of their ex members said was that, yes, when he was in the group, the anxiety related issues he had did seem to be fixed, yeah. but it all came back. You know, it was all fixed sort of temporarily on this adrenaline high of joining this group and all the love bombing and all the good yeah. feelings, but it didn't fix it. It just fixed it temporarily or it just sort of went away on its own based on your own chemicals. <laughs> right. You know, so yeah, I think there's a lot of that going on because so many things are anxiety related as we now know. So then you were raised in it. Um, tell me yeah. about your, your Christian science childhood. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, one of the things that hopped out at me when I was kind of thinking about this ahead of time is um, the uh, Lucia Green, I'm going to forget the last syllable of her name, Lu Lu Lucia Greenfield, uh, Father, Mother, God, um, which is autobiographical and gives a lot of information about her childhood. And when I read that, it wasn't the first thing I read. I had already kind of knocked down the wall and was then just looking for more, um, as the Christian scientists call it, obnoxious literature. <laughs> um, That's my new band name, by the way. That is, is a great band name. Um, <laughs> obnoxious she, books. She, she describes aspects of her childhood, like physical landscape, like, you know, the plaque on the wall and the 
the picture of Mary Baker Eddy or whatever. And she also was describing her, you know, her notions of what these things meant that people were telling her and her notions about how she should handle certain things or what was appropriate, this young, 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 young mind. And my reaction, as best as I can put it, was this strangest combination of, oh, oh my God, that, that, was, that was what happened to me. That was, that was exactly what happened to me. And at the same time, um, excuse me, that was mine. You don't get to have had that. What, wait a minute. What's going on? Um, <laughs> that was unique strange. to me. <laughs> yeah, and that was one of my like red flags. Like, okay, that's culty. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm special. Know. You're not special. I'm the yeah. special one. <laughs> and at the same time, like, oh my God, there's I've spotted one in the wild. You know, like the yeah. I I still react if I see the words Christian and science in close proximity in an article or something. I'm like, oh. Uh, yeah, I do but, too. Even if I yeah. see like a capitalized C and S near each yeah. other, yep. I kind of like oh. That's a that's a red that's a red flag. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. I I really relate to that feeling of the duality of you're you're kind of happy that you find other people having the same experiences and you're also a little bit oddly jealous because it means you're not special. Yeah. <laughs> like you know I, I I remember like it was definitely there from inception like. I was aware of Christian science as soon as I was aware of pretty much anything else. I mean, I know obviously there's the mother, mother, baby stuff, right? But like, it's there right away. And I was all in. So that's maybe the, like the simplest way to kind of snapshot my childhood is that everybody was radically reliant. There was nobody in my periphery who would, who was going to go to the hospital or take an aspirin or, we didn't keep first aid stuff in the house because it was inviting an injury. Yeah. Um, and I was all in. I was the kid, it, like I was, you know, listening to some of the others talk, um, saying like I was the kid that they didn't want to have in their class. And I admire that so much, right? As a child, I was the kid you did want in your class because I was like, hey, are we going to do some more Socratic Socratic questioning because I'm here for that I'm going to get the right answer and the other kids I was like what is wrong with them they don't get it like even as a little like four or five year old I was like what is wrong with them answer the questions this is amazing this is yeah I remember being really annoyed by other when <laughs> on the rare occasion there were other children in our, the Sunday schools that I went to Right. I remember being really irritated because they were so like not into it and so disrespectful and like not paying attention. I was like, come on. Right. <laughs> yeah. This is the thing we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I also, you know, some of the things I, I was kind of thinking about, I was, I think I was quite healthy as a child. Um, I don't think that's a, that's a, unreliable narrator moment like I'm pretty sure I I really wasn't sick very much and that sort of um supported the story because it was like well I am more healthy than most and then on so top therefore... of that you are getting sent to school even if you are sick so then you appear even more more healthy than most um <laughs> and uh and I and I was excelling um at a very early age, I was excelling in academic things. So that of course is credited to it as well. Um, 
And I think a lot of people uh, that come up as Christian science children have this sort of perfectionist thing. Because of course, from the moment we're born, we're told we're perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the and things I, you mentioned ahead of time was, um, which I, I share this also is, I have to say, I'm glad in some ways that I had this, you're God's perfect child thing growing up and not you're a sinner. Yeah. Because like you, I can't say that having low self-esteem has ever been an issue for me. Right. It just, yeah. it, that's not a thing for me where it, I, I really see it in friends. And I'm like, wow, that's like really an issue in their lives. And I'm I'm pretty convinced that it comes from being told we're perfect all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's like there may be other pitfalls to that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's not um, perfect, but but it helps in some I, ways. I guess I wouldn't trade. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Yeah. Um, and I and that doesn't feel particularly culty to me. Some of the stuff around it, I can see like leftover stuff, but it's like no, I'm pretty sure. Like, I, I I've never had the experience of wanting to trade places with someone. Um. And that to me reads as a pretty solid self-esteem. Of course, it's Swiss cheesy. You know, of course there's holes in it. But um, that does feel like a, a genuine good takeaway. <laughs> um, the where, where you run into problems is that we're not. Right. So as things become more and more complicated, as you become older and you see more and more how gray things are and what ethics really, how, how tangly ethics really get and all those things that, that are just not there in childhood, um, you need to maybe get some help or some support. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's, I'm not gonna do that. Uh, I, you know, I need, I need to get my, you know, the, I, was, I was talking about in the mental health section, when I first reached out for assistance with mental health stuff, um, you know, the first thing you encounter is that anxiety and depression scale, real straightforward questions. And I didn't see myself doing it right away. I had to go through a couple, you know, they give them to you all the time, right? So I had to go through a couple of those assessments before I started to be like, oh, but what I would do is the question, you know, read the question. The question is, you know, are, how difficult are these things making it to, to conduct your daily life? You know, how difficult is the anxiety making it, for example. And I would watch my mind go, uh -huh. and eight, seven, six, five, like down the scale. Like if they asked you to rate it one to 10, and I would just watch myself rationalize the same voices, you know, well, what could I have done differently? And is it really because of this? And um, until it's down to one, at which point I can answer, you know, I'm fine or some version of that um so that makes it very difficult to get into to break into therapy and actually get the assistance that you need because it's very easy to sit there and talk and not actually let any of the stuff in and censor yourself until you can get that answer down to a nice one or a zero yeah did you did you finally have a therapist at some point who figured this out or did you kind of figure it out yourself? I, th I think I figured it out myself. Well, you know, what's tricky. A good therapist, you don't realize that they're helping you along. Right. So I, I guess I'm uncomfortable to say I figured it out myself, but it, it seemed like that's what was happening. It seemed like I was sort of noticing my own behavior in therapy. And what I was started to say is what treatment modality do you think I would respond to the most other than talk therapy? 
And once I said that, they were like, okay, you get it then? Okay. All right, great. Yeah, let's get you to stop talking. You know, let's do EMDR or let's do uh, somatic work or let's do, right? Um, and that's, those therapists have been the ones that got it the most when they, they were like, yeah, I see. You need to stop just being able to talk at me for an hour. Yeah. So you grew up physically healthy, which is good. Yeah. I did too. I didn't have any major medical issues, thank goodness. Um, yeah. How was the how was the emotional part of your childhood with your parents? You know, yeah. were they classic um, CS like feelings deniers? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, and it's it's tricky because I there's so many things that are like questionable. Um, like, you know, uh, stuff like um, being bullied and teased at school, including for being a Christian scientist, of course. And then coming to sort of just like swallowing that for all the times that it would happen. And then at one point I felt that a teacher had not backed me up appropriately or had misinterpreted. And I brought this to my dad. And I remember this conversation as a good conversation. It was only when I started to kind of see things in a little bit of a deeper thing when I was a little older that I was like, okay, that he said that because of this aspect of Christian science and this, this was not supportive. But what he said was, well, there was, in essence, what he said was, well, there's, there's probably something else you did that you didn't get caught for. So it's just fair that you were wrong, you know, you were wrongfully blamed for this thing you didn't do. <laughs> and in retrospect, I see that what he was actually saying was, I don't want to get involved in this. Yeah. Um, and that I think is, is the problem with a lot of CS parenting decisions is that the thing is like taking the kid to the doctor is a part-time job. You're constantly assessing symptoms, trying to decide if it's time, if you're a bad parent, if you don't take them, if you're overreacting, if you do take them, then when you take them, they're there for six hours, stuck there with them, and they're, they don't want to be there either. And then you have to go get the prescription and something wrong with it. And you, you know, and then you got to follow up with their primary care physician five days later. And then blah, 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 blah. it's, it's a lot. <laughs> you can bypass and that's not even talk taking into account health insurance which back then would yeah. have been a crucial you know way more crucial factor even than it is now like if you're a christian scientist you can bypass all of that all of that you don't have to do anything physically do anything yeah and there's so no can, there's no midnight emergency room visits yeah, there's no yeah, yeah. <laughs> giant no. bills coming in the mail a month later which is what happened you don't to have me to do any of the things you just have to think really hard yeah um and yeah i think it's it's uh it's a it's a trap that's hard to get out of because you first would have to ask yourself is this part of my interest in christian science and um if so what should i be doing to fix this instead is it hard for me to take responsibility for things is it hard for me to cope with the fast pace of life is it hard for me to do self-care so now I can't do care for my kid either um and the prospect of doing all those things when you could just tell the child that it's their responsibility to figure out what happened in the past that <laughs> caused this cold you you can just sit there yeah, yeah. Here you go baby here read your books 
Yeah. And unless you call a practitioner, it's free. Right, right, right. (laughs) So I, I, yeah, it's free. Exactly. Um, So I, uh, yeah, yeah, there was something. Yeah. I had a, I had an incident with, uh, when I had my first son, when he was maybe nine, 10 months old, he had had this little red dot right under his eye. And it was just like that for a few months. And then all of a sudden it started growing and like pushing out from the skin, like a mole. And I actually took him, I finally did take him to a doctor um, because it was concerning how quickly it was growing. And I've had some issues with skin cancer and stuff. So I was like, all right, let's go. And the doctor said, oh, it's just a strawberry hemangioma. You know, it'll resolve on its own. I was like, great. That night I take him home and I'm changing him and I flip him over and the thing bursts and it just starts spurting blood like a fountain. And I, you know, I try to put a Band-Aid, but I can't really because he's tiny and it's right under his eyes. That doesn't work. So I'm sort of like thinking, well, I'll just put pressure to stop the bleeding and it'll just stop. You know, it'll it'll heal up and then I'll take him back to the doctor or whatever. It'll be fine. Well, it didn't stop. It just kept coming and coming and coming. And this went on for a while, like more than I care to admit that I just kind of let it go like that, thinking it'll it's got to heal up it's got to stop you know he's not a hemophiliac I don't think I think I would know that by now so it's gonna it's it's just gonna stop and then I had this moment where I looked down and he's on the bed and he's okay like he's not upset or hurt he's just kind of fussy um and there's just blood everywhere like I've got all these cloths like with blood and it's all over him and I look at this horror show of this little baby covered in blood and i'm like what the fuck is wrong with you call 911 now right what is the matter with you and i was like oh my god yeah okay yeah and like i know a christian scientist would not like an ex a non-ex christian scientist would not have done that they would have thought right right away this is a problem so you know we get in the ambulance we go to the hospital and sure enough it's 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 a vascular mole so it was going to like a main artery and it just and it's like he wouldn't have died. It, he yeah, would have been okay, totally. but he did need to go somewhere to have it stitched up because it I never would have like, stopped. What would have, what would have hardened in you if if you had not stepped through that the way that you did, right? Like I don't even mean that like so personally, but like that's Christian Science teaches parents that the only thing that can harm their children is their own fear, <laughs> right? <laughs> which completely cuts you off from any instinct whatsoever that you might have in regards to your child. Yeah. Having a proper reaction. Right. You're not allowed to access what you accessed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, how many times did I look at this baby with blood all down his little onesie and just kind of not feel anything before I went, Oh shit, (laughs) this is serious. Like stop, just gets, get help, you know? Yep. Yeah. It's like, I think, you know, what maybe all these different emerging from cults movements can can kind of find together, I wonder, is like, how is it that an ideology becomes the top priority over relationships? Yeah. Yeah. Like, whatever that ideology is, then we can even get out of debating whether all Christianity is a cult, you know, like all that is, it almost kind of feels like a distraction. Um, because really what it is, is it is heartbreaking when any ideology, an ideology isn't anything. 
It isn't anything unless people believe it. It's just a fart in the wind. Everybody just has to kind of deify their own. So you can't say that, but it's nothing. It isn't yeah, anything. It's not real. <laughs> and of course it could also be a set of values or whatever, but the set of values is in you. You're the one doing it. You chose that ideology to guide you, whatever, whatever. But if it makes your child disown you, or it makes you unable to feel that your father is dying painfully and to help, you know, um, then stop, <laughs> rewind. Yeah, um, it's time to rethink the ideology. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so at what point did you, because you were all in, like, like yep. I was, yep. um, at what point did it start to crack for you? Okay, so I was thinking about this, and 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 you know, it, like I said, it's it was less of a straw that broke the camel's back, and more of a of a tear down the wall gradually kind of thing. Um, so it does come to me as a series of you know the first few, you you shake it off, you know, you first few like, wait a minute, you kind of just keep going. And one of them for me is very it's very silly but that's why I saw it is that when I was 16 years old, I was at Prin, the Iraq war was starting. And I was of an age where I was going to make that very much about me. <laughs> I'm grieving. Oh my God, it's war. You know, like it, I didn't even really know, any, you know enough about the history, but I knew that I was supposed to be like, this is my time, this is my war. So it had my attention. And, you know, I was always playing my little Game Boy, playing Super Mario, where you have to try and try and try over and over and over again to jump these obstacle courses and you keep failing and you finally get through. And I'm deep in it at Principia, you know, I mean, you're surrounded by, this is the, this is the boarding school for, for Christian scientists. Um, I would notice when I was playing this game, you know, you get a, you get a little voice in your head <laughs> tells you what to do. She has it, the you book. Should, you should have turned your sled, Travis. You heard a voice in your head saying maybe you shouldn't go fast on these hills, but you didn't listen. <laughs> and now you done broke your, broke your butt. So it's very difficult then to differentiate what is this voice in my head? In the absence of psychology and being told that God is the one in there talking, I'm like, so God is telling me when to jump in this game, I guess. Because, because I mean, I'm having these, I'm starting, you know, I'm not understanding it's muscle memory. Mm. I don't know what muscle memory is. I'm not understanding that every time I do the course, I'm getting more instinctual. And so I will seem to know something before I know it. But there was something about, there's a war over here and they're bombing citizens. And I've actually been thinking that God is helping me win at Mario. Okay, this is, yeah, that's, that's, that doesn't seem right. Yeah. So what is going on here? That was like, that was like a little, you know, and I mean, I'm at print. It's not, I'm not going to get it the rest of the way yet. But that was maybe the, one of the very first, like, knock, knock, knock. Like, that doesn't, that's, this isn't just all for me. This isn't the Elizabeth show. Nobody gives a crap about whether you're winning at Mario if they don't give a crap about these people dying. There's just, come on. 
And then of course you can apply that to other things and you'll start to hear the judgmentalism in any Christian scientist who's saying, you know, I'm so lucky that I found my keys or I didn't have the car accident that the person next to me had. Like I, you know, like the, some of those testimonies, like I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden I hear, you know, I hear the Mary Baker Eddy's blah, blah, blah in my head. And I knew that I was supposed to swerve to the left. And instead this other guy got hit is basically what they're saying. Yeah. With zero understanding of how congratulations, I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, very so self-centered, profoundly self-centered. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, the ongoing, you know, tap 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 is that I didn't go through puberty. So when I was like ten or eleven, um. I now realize in retrospect, something started to start up a little bit and then it just stopped. It was like a souffle deflating. Mm. And by the time I was like 13, my mom was kind of acknowledging like, that was odd. Um, I was expecting it was about to happen and you just were having a little fluctuation in the way things went down. So then I started to get no lie questions from extended family at holidays each year have you gotten your period yet oh my god no uncle whatever i haven't thanks yeah, for i got those too <laughs> i'm gonna die now because so i'm 14 and you just asked me if i got my period yet so yeah thanks for bringing me my death um <laughs> and and it would happen each year and it kept happening till i was about 15 and what would happen is it would be like well you know my neighbor's daughter didn't get it till she was 14 well you know I once heard of a circus freak who didn't get to their 50 you know what I mean like I was trying to think of whatever example they could think of and then they sent me to Prin, which was a neat way to sidestep that debate because you can't go there if you're receiving med medical treatment and 15 I would say is about as old as you can let your kid get before you take him to the doctor and say hey something's wrong with her underworks right um so I didn't go to a doctor until I was 25 years old but I spent all of my teenage years praying for my period well and yeah. thinking that I was not going through puberty because my thinking was not pure enough which is a real mind fuck because those don't go together yeah because um, once again it's all your was, fault you yeah. had to have done something yeah <laughs> you had to have thought something wrong ongoing project of Elizabeth's that she had to, I didn't have any ovaries. I was born without ovaries. I'm praying to get my period and there's no factory in there. Um, so the thing is, nothing could have changed that. It's a total mystery. It's just a one-off weird thing. It's nothing in my chromosomes or my genes. It just happened. And if they brought me to a doctor then, doctors in the current day have told me, yeah, they could. there's nothing that they could have done. You know. Um, they might have decided to do something or other with hormones and you know um so it's again nothing seemed to be mad about on a level of someone who really uh endures some sort of a crippling after effect from from medical neglect but it did make me crazy and miserable for a good 10 years yeah yeah because you didn't know what was happening you know do you, you feel like if you'd gotten just that closure you could have not had all that interestingly when i finally went to the doctor it it corresponded that was the year that it started to crumble on a on a on a more psychological level so i don't know if it was 
events with my partner. That's where I kind of in really encountered psychology for the first time and had to make some decisions. Um, or whether it was this doctor's visit that finally came. It was very unsatisfying because I thought that they were going to fix everything. Mm. Um, and that, that was one of the last notes I sent. I mean, I even have seen it, but basically what's curious to me too is, you know, Christian scientist mindset, it seems growing up is, or anyway, mine was that I completely believed in Christian science. Um, and then I knew there was this whole other world where you go to a doctor instead and doctors suck. That's my, all right, got it. Very black and white, yeah. Very black and white. But the thing is, I also had this notion that if you did go to a doctor, they would fix everything, which is very odd <laughs> because it seems quite, it seems to, to go against that I believed Christian science. Like where it's like almost like it was stored over there well, if, if it really gets too bad, then I'll go to the doctor and they'll fix everything, which they won't. That's not yeah. how that works. Um, especially if you've left it go. It's It very much dovetails with what you and Jeremy were talking about where somebody tells themselves that, well, the second I go to the doctor, second somebody goes to the doctor, then they start finding all this stuff. <laughs> and you you grind this belief in with anecdotal evidence that other people have said, yep, that too, you know, remember Aunt Mary, she was dead 40 days after she went in there. Yet because Aunt Mary had cancer for 17 years and nobody knew. So when she finally went, that's because the pain or the dysfunction became so all encompassing that she couldn't do anything anymore because she was nearing her death. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, again, black and white thinking, you know, we, it was really interesting to read how you you felt like you you expected medicine to be this magical thing because yeah. a we're used to thinking magically yeah. <laughs> and, and we gave it we invested it was so much <gasps> yeah. I was terrified of pills I was terrified of terrified pills. yeah and very very curious um but like they you know proximity to pills could cause problems you know? <laughs> My, yeah. my family clearly reacted with 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 a heckler energy to roast any medical commercial that came on yeah we did too um, yeah you mute, it's not enough to mute it and you know I, I just said this in group and i mean to like quote myself but like I, we're gonna mute it and then in this in this silence that we claim to be really comfortable with <laughs> and you think would, they would be based on christian science services um instead in that we're gonna be so uncomfortable in that silence that we don't have to heckle the commercial these dumb people these dumb doctors and we're, we're sitting here telling the telling ourselves that the rest of the world is stupid for taking medicine um and and then what's the pill and what's the pill nowhere to go anyway how right know? it's ridiculous <laughs> it's so embarrassing like these were intelligent people adults yeah and, and i recently <laughs> recalled it and what was horrifying to me wasn't wasn't even the fact that we'd said the things it was that i had not actually gone back to that data to examine why we were wrong like i you know it's like and that's a, how many other areas have i not done that like how many other areas are, are unexamined and i don't realize it. it kind of freaks me out yeah and one of the things too with us with the mocking of of medicine was i i very much remember my mother saying things like well i mean you could take the pill but you know it's not going to solve the real problem 
Right. It was always this thing of like, well, you can take the easy way out. Right. But it's not going to solve the real thing. And it's like, well, what what else are we supposed to be solving? <laughs> like, what yeah. are we talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you said something the other night that sounded to me a lot like one of the things I memed that you'd said, which is uh, you said, I never experienced a healing. I spent a lot of time in pain on bathroom floors, though. Um, that resonated with me so strongly. Um, yeah. Yeah, I never took uh, pain pills probably until I was in my early 30s and, and you know, finally had to go to the doctor for birth control. So I had horrific menstrual cramps every month, horrific to the point where I would have to take at least a day or two off of work every month. And I remember even coworkers being like, you know, you can't keep doing right. this. Right. Right. <laughs> you're you're going to lose your job basically. And yeah, I would just literally like writhe in pain on the bat, the cold bathroom floor desperately trying to know the truth and every month this would happen like like clockwork yeah, i would month. just be in horrific pain yep. and when i finally did start to take uh aspirin or whatever you know it was just that that was something that was magical yeah right magical <laughs> i was like I, mine was a uh, a friend was coming over to pick me up we're gonna go out he got there and i was like i'm so sorry i have i've got a screaming headache i, I cannot go out and he was like oh you're going out Where's where's your you know, where's your Advil? I don't have Advil. Right, right. You're a weirdo. Okay. <laughs> they gave me these two Advils. And of course I was terrified. Terrified. Yeah. And 20 minutes later, I was like, it, it makes the headache go away. And he was like, it does. Let's go. You know, um, that was mind blowing. I was still terrified of anything I would take for a long time after that. Like I had horrible uh, motion sickness in planes to the point that it just made me not want to go anywhere. And I think it, after learning about the existence of Dramamine, I think it took me several more plane trips before I was willing to try it. I was so afraid that I'd have some reaction on the plane and make it even worse. Yeah, that was a big thing for me too, this fear of having a reaction, you know, which, you know, it does happen to people. Sure. It's not a thing that doesn't happen, but the odds of that are so slim. You know, even when I got my first shots when I was holding my newborn and <laughs> finally got my first vaccines. And uh, my my first thought was like, well, what if I have a reaction? What if I'm allergic? Like, we don't know what's been going on all this time. I was 39 years old. And that's what I said to the doctor. I was like, just tell me what to look for if something starts to go wrong. So at least I'll know. And I can tell you, like, will I get a rash? Like, if I know that I'm allergic, blah, blah, blah. and of course, none of those things happened. And it was fine. And like I said, in my interview with my sister, I think it was, you know, it's this teeny little needle and this tiny little pinch. Nothing happened afterwards, except I was protected against whooping cough. You know? right. <laughs> that was the worst thing that happened was I was protected against a disease that would kill my newborn. Right. Yeah. So crazy. But yeah, I think I, I would imagine there's a lot of people that come out of Christian science and get into the medical world as we tend to do as we get older and are a little disappointed that it's not this magic bullet because yeah. we were so used to things being absolute and, and perfect and not based in science, which is imperfect and changes and fails. And, <laughs> you know, we're not used to that ambiguity. It's hard for us. Insisting all the while that, that medicine doesn't work, but, but somehow, how do you really believe that if you're also telling yourself that the doctor is omnipotent? Yeah. Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one of my earliest memories, and there's actually photos of me doing this, was when I was probably three or four, and I was in some mother church thing, 
like, I don't know if it was annual meeting or, or, you know, my mother wrote for the Christian science monitor for years. So it might've been like a writing group. I don't know. And so I'm this little girl in this little green dress and I'm singing the Alka-Seltzer song, which at that time was plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Yeah. But I was saying belief instead of relief. Oh, what a belief it is. Intentionally knowing that that was a yeah. Christian science thing. It wasn't like I was miss, you know, saying no, the word. You're, you're doing, yeah, yeah. It was very intentional. And I remember I would sing this little song and all the Christian science adults were so delighted. You know, they'd all, oh, oh I'm such a good little Christian scientist, you know. And again, pat me on the head and tell me I was good. Girl, I feel you. Yeah. So I knew, I knew how to please all these adults. And it was by going along with, with all that. I, so the, the, when I was four, I was in a lecture because my parents were cruel, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) A masochist. Um, But I, this is how drinking the Kool-Aid I was. Um, I was four years old. The practitioner went into the typical asking questions of the audience that they weren't waiting for an answer to, you know. Now with that, does that make any sense? Could you, you know, whatever. Could a a fountain have water coming out of it that's both dirty and clean? That's wackadoo, you know, like, and and the audience is like, yeah, right. But of course, they're completely silent, right? So I don't know what the heck he's talking about. I'm not tracking this, but I understand inflection because Christian scientists are all about the inflection. If you're not going to actually do anything compassionate, you have to really pour on the compassion sauce when you're telling the person you're not going to do shit for them. So I knew all the little tones of voice and what they meant. And I heard this person say, now, and I said, oh, top of my lungs. And the whole silent auditorium is like, oh, what a charming little troll. And I, that was like, that was it. That was me for the rest of my life. That's who everybody saw me as. I was that clever, precocious little girl who knew that the answer was no. I don't know what the question was. Yeah. <laughs> but I knew some kind of questioning and how you to knew act. What, yeah, you knew what the right answer was to get the right reaction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned um, how much discovery of psychology helped you to... Right come out you know for you yeah. like me it was a very long slow process it didn't all happen at once so so talk a little bit about that all right so so basically same I'm 25 I go to the doctor for the first time I find out that why I never got my period is that you were born without ovaries and fallopian tubes and you have infantile uterus and we can't do anything to help you bye so then I get together with my uh my ex-wife and um this was my first intimate relationship because I had basically, I had, I had woven together because how could you not? I had woven together my failure to go into puberty and, and, and the message that this is my responsibility with my sexuality in general. And I just, the way it came up for me by that age was the, the world of intimacy is not for me. Mm. The world of romance is not for me. It's just, I just don't qualify. I'm, you know, I mean, I'm overweight because my system is dumping uh, the chemical into my system every every month to get me to ovulate and there's no ovary so it's just flooding me with and so I start this relationship and we in in typical lesbian fashion there was a lot of talking about our 
feelings and and trauma and um and that's fine that's what i was looking for um and my wife uh eventually divulged we were not married yet but my wife eventually divulged that um she was sexually abused by both of her parents mm. um and and that's and that's the good part oh gosh okay. yeah um that bad and i i was ready for this challenge my ego was loving it i was made for this i'm gonna fix her mm. and uh and i'm gonna convince her of things that i know um you know and so I gave her some extremely mixed signals because I reacted with zero judgment for whatever reason. I just was like, oh no, <laughs> uh, okay. So, and she would try to back out of it. And I, you know, it, it was, this was very dangerous. This was, this was a bad situation. Like I was, you know, we were playing with fire therapeutically for, for years um, and paid for it in the end. Um, in the mix of the non-judgmental acceptance that I was giving her, I was peppering in stuff like, this didn't really happen to you. Oh my God. <laughs> Which it turns out, if you say that to someone who's extremely mentally ill from years of CPTSD, right? And, and, and torture, um, they think that that means you don't believe them, obviously um and that they're delusional so even though i was giving her all these other cues that i believed her that she's that's terrifying she's only known me for a couple months so i saw her reaction and i saw it was the wrong thing to say but i also saw that it was intrinsically it was it was central to my entire world concept like this didn't really happen to you if you don't like it then it didn't happen so now you just need to make that true because it is true and you're just wrong. And I just kept, she coached me compassionately out of it. Uh, she, even, even in her total triggered, like, oh my God, what are you saying? Um, and she said, I think you should maybe read a couple of these books. And she gave me the name of some books about, you know, supporting sexual abuse survivors or being a sexual abuse survivor. And I started reading them. And the second that stuff started to go into my brain, because I already started asking the question, why is it the wrong thing to say that this didn't happen to you? Why, 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 why? I don't know the answer yet. Um, I start reading all these books and um, they're full of very useful psychology for anybody. And it just started crowding out the CS. It's like, it could, it, they could not both be in the same mind. Um, it's which like it, one was, of the it was rewiring your brain basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something, something's going to have to go. So I'm either, and, and it's, and it's clearly not that I'm clearly drawn to the psychology stuff and even put myself in a situation where I would have to confront psychology stuff. Um, so that, that was, so, you know, a, a lot of, of, of XCS talk about this like long, I don't know if you call it like a liminal space or like a purgatory or something that you spend, you might call it CS light. Um, mm -hmm. but, but, but the way I describe it and I hear others describe it is like, I, I'm just not good at it. It, it, I'm sh it totally works. I'm just not good at it. Yeah. I had that too. Um, I just don't get um, it. <laughs> yeah. I just don't get it. You know, um, which is really, that even was very hard for me to admit because I'm great at this. Right. You know, I know all the answers. Um, so, but that was, so that was a big step. Um, but, but I stayed there for a long time. 
I stayed there, you know, astrology, deep, deep, deep into astrology, 25 books about it, not like just honoring the the, the logic behind it and some of the things that we see that are legit, but like, no, we're going to get down it around or tarot reads or um, Eckhart Tolle or some other culty thing or, you know, <laughs> and, but really it was just kicking around trying to find a way out of the rules of this world. Yeah. Because I wasn't raised with them. I, I was a nanny for 10 years and I had to just pretend that I believed in germs. Cause I don't, <laughs> I still don't. I mean, I, I do like, I know that, that that's crazy and that they're real. And if something smells bad or is gross or is sticky, I want it off of me. And I wash my hands at all the appropriate times, but I don't actually, it's too late. Like it's too late to believe in germs. That's, <laughs> that's, there's no germs. Well, we can't see them. So they're not real. Yeah, we can't right? see them. It's like, it's just, it just doesn't, I have, this is not a source of, of like strife for me or anything. It's just fascinating that it doesn't, I, I just act like I believe in it now. <laughs> fake it till you make it, I guess, right? Yeah, fake it till you make it. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> looking at my, looking at my little... Okay, so the psych, so that was the main psychological thing. Um, and then around age 35, I started looking for psychological interventions for myself mostly related to disordered eating. And that's when I started to actually get some therapy. And when I observed, you know, my tendency to minimize anything I was experiencing and not give the, the accurate answer as to how bad it was. Um, and my tendency to not really let a therapist actually contribute anything. To just talk, talk and stay up here in my head. I'm assuming you told them you were formerly a Christian scientist or yeah. were still... Yeah, did any no, of them no. get it? Did they know what it was? So yeah, I think so. Yeah. And and some of them read, you know, like I had, I know at least one of them read Father, Mother, God for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, they, they, they effectively steered into different modalities uh, and chose good ones to, to get me to stop just coming in and giving them the weekly report. Yeah. Um, and then when I was like 37 or something, I read that biography of Mary Baker Eddy that was written by the Oxford scholar. Like it's not a takedown of Christian science. It's just an honest biography about Mary Baker Eddy. Uh, Radcliffe, she was a Radcliffe. And um, I started reading it and I, it, I, I can be a very fast reader if it pulls me in and I just, boom. Um, and I finished it, which was already happening while I was reading it, but I finished it and I was just like, okay. I'm gonna need to find some people to talk to about this. I also <laughs> grew up in Christian Science because this. Okay. What sorts of things did you learn in there that? Right. Made you feel that way. I'm really glad that's what I started with because it is so neutral. Um, if anything, the complaint is that she's too easy on Mary Baker Eddy, but I think it's actually a a, a much more balanced view. What I think it took the, like, you know how Christian scientists call her Mrs. Eddie? Yeah. That's, that's, that's like your hint. Like, oh, you're okay. You're still in. Yeah. Still I still do it. Unfortunately. Right? <laughs> it's like, it's just a program thing. So it's like Mrs. Eddie. 
pushed to the side. And instead I got an actual human. Here's an actual human. And I find psychological stuff really interesting. And boy, she's a lot of fun to think about. She's a real nut job. Um, she's also was a powerful woman in an age where there weren't many. It's, it's, it's kind of tragic. She, she, you know, started this religion, uh, you know, pushed, pushed out of this field and uh, of people and, and became a, you know, a female pastor, head of this church, whatever you want to call it. pastor, And, and then dive straight down into being controlled by men again. And I don't mean to let her off the hook. I don't mean that that's right. But like, you can see that she's, she ain't quite right. And she needs people to be around her and be her yes men. And once you are, you can control her. Um, and it's not that it brought sympathy. It's that I'm interested in, I want, I'm interested in the whole picture. And I didn't, I'm lucky enough to not feel super angry about being brought up in Christian science. Like I had a, you know, a, a, enough intimacy with my parents and my extended, you know, and my grandparents, there was enough intimacy there. It was, there was dysfunction too, but there was enough intimacy that it didn't feel like it does for some people who are really not getting any, any consolation or comfort or care, you know? Um, and so I guess what I learned from that book was to see her as a, to see that I was allowed to just re redesignate her as a human, a, a deeply flawed mentally ill human who was trying to do something. And that's admirable. Didn't do it very well. I bet a lot of people don't. Um, she plagiarized, she manipulated people. She holed up in people's homes and lived there rent-free for ages and then gave them advice they didn't ask for about how they should miraculously disappear their problems. Um, she, was, she was just kind of a dreadful person. Um, but she had charisma apparently. And I assume she talked the way all Christian scientists talk. It's gotta have come from the top. So just that. Um, but I wanted to know more. And I had, it's like it opened up a bunch of notions because it was done so neutrally. I was able to go, she didn't break her back on that ice. She was writing a letter trying to get money from the city three days later. She was all right. She she realized this was her story. And when she first wrote the first uh, edition, it didn't say nothing about falling on the ice. Right. That was like fourth edition or something. It was like, yeah, also, also, I had a miraculous, you know, recovery. So a lot of that got dismantled. And once that gets dismantled, you can start dismantling other ridiculous stuff that's maybe closer to your your experience, your life, stuff that happened to you. Yeah. Well, I've noticed like in other groups, I, I just interviewed a friend of mine who's an ex-Mormon that when all of the myth around the founder is taken away, that's sort of the gateway to dismantling the entire, you know, belief system. Like when you, when you realize that the, the person that has been so mythologized for you your whole life isn't actually <laughs> as they presented themselves and they were actually a human and, and flawed and possibly mentally ill and things like that. It's really hard to stay in the belief system after, after having that knowledge, you know? Yeah. And I guess why she squirmed away from 
any kind of criticism the way she did and the way, why, way anybody in that position does is you have to be the, well, it's, I mean, I, like, I love to watch, you know, series about cults, of course. And, you know, a lot of times you can see that whoever's at the head of it is, is desperately holding together this false image of themselves, that, that, that they're reliant upon their cult following to shine back to them that that's who they are, even though they're not. Um, like that, the woman, uh, the deep end, the woman, uh, gray, gray Phoenix, or I can't remember, blue Phoenix. <laughs> um, Teal Swan. Uh, yeah. 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 Teal Swan has a raging case of like narcissism and, and, and a host of other, uh, you know, complex personality disorders. Um, probably, uh, probably, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. And, and like she desperately needs them to stay around her and, and let her demonize whoever she's going to demonize this week and be like, yeah, you know? Um, and, but there's so much pressure. She has to hide herself because if anyone finds out who I really am, then they'll know that this doesn't work, but you can't think that. Otherwise you couldn't keep being culty. So you have to find some code way to like, like I have to, I have to push you out of my life because for my safety. Yeah. Now that I'm, you know, now that I'm older, I really have to protect my health and I can see that you're going to, you know, like. Yeah. I mean, I have to say in all my, in all my, my studies <laughs> of cults, which means watching documentaries and listening to podcasts, yeah. <laughs> that one of my takeaways watching these people, because they all operate the same, they're all basically the same, is it looks exhausting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. they have to keep all these yeah. plates spinning yeah. Yeah. all the time. And I mean, even someone like Keith Raniere, who, you know, for all all accounts, basically just laid on couches all day right. long, it still looks super tiring. Yeah. Keeping yeah. up this mythology about yourself and and also managing something that I struck me when I was watching the Twin Flames uh documentary. Yeah, one of, that's one of the one, two. That's what I was thinking of too when I said that. Go ahead. Yeah. What happens when because there's always a point a few years in or months in or a decade in where all of your followers realize that it's not working. Yeah. And the extreme in Twin Flames is none of these people were finding their perfect lover after years right. of spending all this money and doing all these coaching sessions. And, oh. you know, so they, and then they have to like rebrand and shift yeah. really abruptly. Yeah. And it just, it just sounds exhausting. And and that's the documentary I was watching. As yeah. I was noticing that you could see the, you could see it weighing on this couple that they're having to be the example of, of, of soulmates for the entire group. And they're, you know, they're not right. I mean, or whatever. They're, normal. they're, they're a normal um, couple with normal so then you problems. See trying to recruit other couples into, into doing these things too. Cause now we're going to turn this into Amway, right? Because we can't, sustain this we can't yeah. sustain this level of scrutiny so i've got to get new couples who, who still have the love bombing thing going on to tell everybody that i found my soulmate yeah yeah i mean i wonder if if uh well i was just about to call her mrs eddie <laughs> i'll just call her yeah. eddie i guess that's better um yeah, there you go call her eddie. you know i wonder if if she ever just got exhausted with all of it <laughs> Yeah, having to keep up this, especially I mean, she lived to what ninety. I mean, that's yep. pretty extraordinary yep. in the in the nineteenth century. I'm yeah. sure she had a lot of ailments. I'm sure she was in a lot of pain a lot of times, yeah. and yet she had to present this persona of this magical, you know, yep. healthy person. I mean, it must have been exhausting. 
Yeah, I think so. I think so. At least we have that. We can comfort ourselves with that. Yeah. <laughs> but she was yeah. probably just exhausted. Yeah. Well, it is exhausting to be a pathological liar. It really is. You got to keep a lot of plates spinning. Yeah. Or maybe <laughs> or- just the way they're psyche is they don't get exhausted by the stuff I, I think they get a big thrill out of it but yeah, for me true. as a non you know narcissistic right. psychopath like right. it sounds exhausting to me it's way easier to just be honest <laughs> you don't have yeah. to remember things <laughs> yeah I think and didn't Mark Twain say that oh probably I yeah think, he was super um, sharp so that that's that's one dimension I suppose this is one of the one of the steps away from Christian science was accidental I was in a bookstore I was in a years old and I saw Mark Twain's book Christian Science and was naive enough to assume that it would be favorable because how could it not be and I opened the book and I maybe looked at the first two pages and something in my head went and I couldn't unsee it Mm. I heard what he said oops well, you can't you can't unring that bell yeah you can't unring that bell and I don't even know what it joggled loose you know like I stopped going to church um and I entered into that stage of like in betweenness but something yeah it was it was a strange it was a strange and very unpleasant sensation um of, of having something taken away from you essentially and I must have been ready because I understood what he was saying. If I wasn't ready, I would have been able to rationalize it, of course. Um, but like apparently I was because I heard that stuff and it couldn't 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 push it away. Yeah. So did you ever have a feeling of fear like you're not protected anymore? Did you ever have that? I, um like you were now in danger because you didn't have this like protective ooze around you. <laughs> I don't think so I don't think that it doesn't really resonate Mm -hmm. um I think maybe I did a lot of that processing in that in-between stage where I was telling myself I wasn't a good Christian scientist that was maybe sort of the negotiation I was stuck in maybe that's the way I didn't feel the fear something like that yeah Um, but yeah I didn't have that I don't think I had that experience so much interesting because I heard yeah so you've been able to maintain good relationships with family and yeah so the way it so the way it timed well okay so my mom sort of sidestepped away from Christian science um during the same time period so she was a, a musician church musician and she started playing at other churches and then she started only playing at other churches hmm. and saying that she just liked the music better. And for her, music is religion, which is, that's, that's sure works, but that was sort of the way she sidestepped out of it. And this kind of delves away from your question, but it's like right here. So I have two siblings on my mom's side. Both my parents got remarried. They just had me. Then both my parents got remarried and they each had two more kids. So these two more kids on my mom's side had a very different experience than I did. They were, they were medically neglected, but they were not really taught Christian science either. Hmm. So it's like it had 
It really wasn't in the household anymore. Things had happened. People had had strokes and been stuck for 10 years, dying slowly. You know, like stuff, stuff had happened that kind of made the family not so cocky anymore. And, and so we just didn't go to church regularly. So they weren't brought regularly. They had some foundational stuff, but mostly we're just hearing it from the grandparents around or something. And I think so often, like, which one's worse? Like, which is worse? Is it worse to have been medically neglected and to have been given really great reasons why that made you nuts because they don't make any sense? (laughs) Or is it worse to be medically neglected and there's no reason given? Like, again, I don't think I'd trade. They also wouldn't trade. So the message back from them is, you know what, I'm glad that I didn't have to also get rid of all this bullshit. But I just think how, like people in, in, in the XCS group who had a more negative experience with, with mentally ill parents who, who really didn't take care of them, that's, that's kind of the, the vibe they come from is like, it's just so barren. There's just, there's no care and it's because I'm not worth it. Um, I have a, one of my, similar to, I was thinking of this when you told the story about what popped you out of it with your son. Um, I have a, a sibling who has permanent scarring on their neck because um, instead of taking him to the doctor when he clearly had some kind of a lymph node infection or something, um, we just popped him. Um, so I don't know what they were that you still, you can still see the marks. I feel like I really would need a good reason why we're doing it that way. I mean, I at least got a really good reason. There was somebody telling me quotes from a book the whole time that they weren't taking care of me. Oh man. Like I. Yeah. Especially if I would imagine nobody around them was doing that. Like they probably went to school with kids that went to doctors. <laughs> so they didn't even have this, this religion informing all of those decisions. Right. It was just rudimentary sense from their few experiences going to the church, you know, a few dozens, whatever, right. From early childhood, just a basic concept of why we were doing all this, but like, that's not enough. Yeah. Um. So that, that's a, that's an interesting mind, mind scratcher or brain scratcher for me. Which one's worse? <laughs> um, we one of the, one of the things I thought of during during your podcast with your sister too with Madeline is uh, this incident that happened. It was on a Thanksgiving. It was a number of years ago. It was possibly twenty years ago. Um, I was newly mo- newly moved to Minnesota, and I did not have a, a good enough appreciation for the the ice and snow. I didn't get it yet how how serious it was, and. Uh, my sister came for Thanksgiving and this is my sister from my mom's side who was raised kind of in Christian science. Right. And she and I walked across the street to the grocery store to grab something else we needed for Thanksgiving. My wife was at home and coming out of the store, she said, yeah, you know, yikes, this is really super icy. And I was like, don't worry. I said, I said, don't worry. It's just ice, which you could argue that's just stupid, but I feel like there's a CS connection there too. Um, and then I, I proceeded to fall spectacularly and break the heck out of my arm to the point Ooh. that like, couldn't be set and had to be surgeried, right? So I go down 
And then we get me up and I'm trying to, I mean, it's clearly broken. And my sister's like, holy shit, we can get her, let's just get her home. And we, we get, we walk in the door of the apartment and we start telling my wife what's going on. She's like, ah, you know, cause it's horrible. Like, you know, it's clearly in, in serious, serious situation. And me and my sister both go, what do we do? And she's like, call an ambulance now, let's go. And we were like, are you sure? And she was like, it's broken. Is it bad like, enough? It, it does look broken. She's like, it doesn't look broken. It's broken. It turns a corner. Like she told me afterwards, she's like, that is the only time I ever thought that you and your sister were stupid. That like either of you, like you both come across as extremely intelligent. But in that moment, I was like, what the fuck is, are you dumb? Yeah. Get to the hospital. It's bent. You know, um, that was, that was interesting to me because my sister is atheist you know, socialist, humanitarian, highly intelligent, and she didn't know what to do either. Yeah, it's hard trying to make up for a lifetime of ignorance of medical stuff. I mean, at this point, I feel like I'm never going to catch up. <laughs> so <laughs> I just take things as they come, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Just pretend to believe in germs, yeah. Yeah, and luckily... <laughs> I mean, I have to say in, in navigating medical stuff for my two sons, talking to other parents is definitely a good way to go. Like, yeah. what do you, what do you do with this? Especially with school yeah. and like, at what point do you not send them to school? Yeah, it helps you find the zone of normal or something. Yeah. So yeah. I, I feel like I have a system now of, you know, when, when to really react and when to just see how it goes. And I, I feel like I'm doing okay with that <laughs> with the understanding that even people who grew up with medicine don't always get that right when it comes to your kids because they're not you you don't know what they're feeling like how bad is the pain how bad is the fever you know but i i don't feel like i'm ever going to catch up for a lifetime of ignorance and an intentionally shutting myself off from any of this information that everyone else got <laughs> How do you make up for, you know, 35 years of ignoring all medical stuff? Right. <laughs> you don't. Right. right. Yeah. You're on the wrong end of the learning curve. We all are. Yeah. And you just kind of have to throw yourself at the mercy of whatever doctors you're assigned to and just hope they're good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> hope they're good at it, which they aren't all. You know, right. I remember I was in this uh, lawsuit years ago and somebody asked me, well, do you have a good lawyer? And I'm like, how do I know? I have a lawyer. <laughs> like... I didn't hire someone I thought was crappy. Like, right. I don't know. Well, I don't know. We'll find I'll, out when we get there, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Like if I win, he was good. You know, <laughs> like, what the hell? Do you have a good doctor? It's like, I don't know if I survive. I guess he was good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's that level of uncertainty that all of normal life brings, which is just anathema to Christian scientists. Like we yeah. having yeah. to deal with uncertainty is... I still struggle with it. And I know all people do. I know this is not unique to me, but yeah. I do track that back to having any belief system, because most religions do this, of giving you, like, pretending to give you all of the answers. Yes. And having to come to a place of, we don't know a lot of things still, and may never. And how utterly frustrating that is. Yeah. <laughs> most yeah. of the time, I can just sort of live with it like we all do. You know, we all just kind of go through our lives knowing that things are uncertain. But every once in a while, if I'm if I'm in a particularly depressive 
place, which thankfully I'm not that much anymore, it gets very dark and very heavy and very like, I just, I cannot stand living in a world where I could just walk out my door and be killed in a car accident. Like that thought is unbearable. I have to believe that there's something I'm doing that's going to cover me. I, I've got. Yeah. And, there, and you know, and most of the time that thought isn't unbearable. It's just, well, that's just the way it is for everybody. But every once in a while, it's like, I can't stand this. I can't yeah. stand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Knowing that the wolves are always at the door, you know, I, it's yeah. just, that thought is just unbearable. But that's what life is, you know. Welcome to yeah. Welcome to right, right. Stay here with us. Don't tell yourself that the whole ball, the whole ball you're living on is pretend. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, you know, I was going to ask if there's anything you miss about being in Christian Science, and I would start by saying, what I miss is the certainty. Yeah. You know that that feel that comforting, warm blanket of we have all the answers, and everything's going to be okay. And nothing bad will happen to you because you can control it. <laughs> I miss that. Even though it was all bullshit, I miss it. Yeah, I remember this uh, analogy coming to me as I was, you know, so so basically what happened was I found this CS group, the XCS group, joined it. And at that point, it was new enough, although it was still very well established, but it was new enough that I went back and read the entire group scroll. Everything anybody had ever said to any, you know, from day one. And that was probably the most galvanizing experience of my life mm. like I just felt like all of these pieces of me were like brought like ah, <laughs> you know um and and that's when uh the three the three of the three admins built the XCS website because we were first talking about doing a book and then we were like website is accessible you don't have to have any money let's just get it out there and so I I contacted anybody who as you know, anybody who uh, I felt had something, you know, we, we should use, I asked them if I could edit it. I did not sleep at night for like three months. I don't know how. I just know it feels directly related to like encountering all this feedback from other ex-Christian scientists, seeing all the parallels, also seeing stories that were so much worse than mine that, that really gave me stuff to think about. Because it's like sometimes when stuff is is in technicolor like that, it gets a little bit easier to to see something that's that's nutty um, because it just happened so much bigger to somebody else. Um, and as I was editing all this stuff, um, I think that was the completion of that work. I mean, as much as could be done that round, you know, then you, you're always finding more stuff, but it reminded me of the question you asked me because I know that was a little bit off the topic, but that was that was what I was relating. Yeah, I think I was going to ask um, a if there's anything memory. you miss. Yeah, positive memories or anything you miss about being in Christian Science. Um, I think that I was able to kind of come out of that with an appreciation for like the trivia of CS childhood. Like it seemed a little bit less traumatic sort of like the next step from when I had read Father, Mother, God and been like, how dare you? And also, oh my God, <laughs> there's someone else. Um, I was able to kind of uh, walk walk into the next stage of things because because I was I was hearing all these voices that were that all made sense that the 
we were all taking it down in the same way. Like of the things that get argued about in there, it is never about interpretation of CS. Like that's never what the argument is. Anytime somebody says, you know, it always struck me this way that this didn't make sense. And everyone's like, yes. Like there, there, there is, there is, <laughs> you, you know, uh, unanimous uh, takes on it in that regard, um, which is fascinating and helpful. Um, I think I, I think I miss. Um, I used to think when things were really bad as a child, you know, you know, run to your room and throw on the bed and cry mad, that kind of feeling, right? I would think something like I would die without Christian science. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what that translates to. I don't know what it was that, another way to say that, you know, like, is it, because Christian science was also the source of much of my problems. I was heckled at school all the time and stuff. And I just wanted to come home to a safe place. And then I would get home and it would be like, I could feel that I was tiresome. So in that solitude, I would think I would die without Christian science. And I guess, I, th I think maybe what that really decodes to is I can't let go of this thing that doesn't really make sense. <laughs> because this is already pretty bad. And I have no control over my life because I'm a child. So thank God I've got this thing to help me rationalize my anger away and my misery away. That's the way I use Christian science. I use Christian science to alter my emotional state. Um, and that's all you can ever do it, use, to, use it to do is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can sort of temporarily alleviate frustration, anger, sadness, anxiety, yeah. and that's worth something, I guess. It but is. it doesn't it's really give you any coping skills. You know, yeah. it does it just comes back. <laughs> you oh, know? It's a, it's a very overwrought um system on how to on suppression. Yeah. How to how to suppress pain, emotions, fear. Yeah. Yeah, you can do it. I mean, yeah. it it does work, kinda. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> but it's you know, for in the long run it doesn't. The whole whack-a-mole nature of the universe thing that makes it just not quite come off. <laughs> you know, because yeah. it's gonna pop up over here. Yeah. Um yeah. And also coming to the realization that this this pursuit of happiness that we're, you know, promised in, in this country anyway, um is ongoing. It's not finite, which was something that I, I think anybody who's in a cult or controlling group or religion, I think a lot of us think that happiness is something that you just get at a certain point and it just stays with you and you're just happy. Right. And it took me far too long into my adult life to realize that you have moments of happiness yeah and that's yeah. it you yeah. get moments you don't get yeah. it's not with you all the time <laughs> yeah. that's just not and yeah it is it's it's an attempt to crystallize and just stay there um and just deny anything that that gets in the way of your your story yeah I, th I think you know one of the things that is such a tragic pattern is, is so many XCS taught you know if their parents are still in is that you see a mental cycling 
cycling down, uh, uh, I'm not quite sure I'm saying it the right way, but like there's a common path that a lot of these people seem to get onto as they're older because you've spent your entire life using untrue anecdotes from fa about family healings that aren't real as as bracing blocks in this tower you're building of your life and every time you add another brick to a bullshit story you see it all shake because it doesn't fit and you remember that like like Malin talking about her finger healing. Well, you know, it, it happened four days ago and I've been watching it heal by 25% each day. So, you know, um, you see older Christian scientists who, who, who will not, will not go gently into a good night, um, starting to spiral down into insanity. Yeah like a dog chasing its tail because they built this whole freaking tower on, on lies and, yeah. and, and they're precious to them. That's the, that's what's interesting where my mom is at. Now she did read, I asked her to read, I checked she asked me for recommendations on books to read and she did read them. So I should not represent that this is where she's at right now. But what I found interesting is that my mom gave me no pushback when we would talk about it kind of in, in sections. She, I got no heat from her whatsoever. Um, completely respectful, completely allowing room for whatever, curious, engaged, um, willing to read things. And where I lost her was the book, um, A Hundred Years of, of CS Healing, of Christian Science Healing, which has all these anecdotes in it. And she was like, but those, I think those are true. And I was like, mom, you, you don't see that that's, that's sentimental? Like, why is, why is that little book have all the true stories in it? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They don't sound true. They sound pretty weird. Yeah. Um, it's like we we have these, you know, these family portraits. And I don't think we always know where the CS stops and the the family begins or something. It's like the all that nostalgia, it's all woven together and Yeah. Yeah. My mother and I had a similar conversation about that same book, Hundred Years of Christian Science Healing. And because she was, this is the thing that I find so maddening is she was also in and out for as much as she right. died a classic, horrible right. Christian science death. <laughs> she had these moments of clarity and right. there were long periods where she was actually out. And like, I'm not part of this anymore, even in the end, even after we weren't even in contact anymore. I know that she joined the ex-Christian scientist Facebook group briefly. Oh, yeah. Much to my chagrin. That was very fraught for me. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, so she was in and out, in and out, and always questioning and doubting, but but still always just going back to it because I think it was comfortable and familiar. And I think at that point, whatever illness she had was so far advanced that to, at that point, decide I am going to go see a doctor was just too scary and I'm, I'm sure she was afraid of being shamed. You know, I would have too. I would have been so afraid of walking into a doctor's office and then being like, why did you let it go this long? What's wrong with you? Right. And that you alone know, would be enough to not go, you know? One of the things that struck me um, is is um, on, on one of the other podcasts, the, the person was speaking about having to convince their parent to go in for help and felt that they had to lie to them 
that they would get in trouble in order to get them out. And my impression was, I don't think that was a lie. I, I think you would have very likely gotten in trouble on some level. I don't think that was a lie. And it's one of those things where you see something, you know, I'm, and I, that person will surely watch, you know, if they watch me talking here, will see me doing something similar, I'm sure, to be clear, right? Um, but I just felt this compassion for like, no, you, you know, that was true. That was true. And, and just because you had to appeal to that parent's respect for your autonomy and you know, respect for what they were putting you through, that's not dishonest. That's, that's keeping it real. Yeah. Um, and it worked in that yeah, situation. So, you know, um, and, you know, uh, I, I had uh, one of my, one of my grandfather, both my grandfathers died in spectacular fashion. <laughs> um, and my mother's father uh, was 60 years old. He had a massive stroke and I was 14 and I could not get my mind around. This was interesting because I actually, I had not, I had not been able, I had not had the opportunity to confront this particular aspect of Christian science. So I found myself like having to think about it, actually seeing it happen. And that is, how did she not call him one? Mm. Like, no, no, sure, I know. We will live for years with horrible ailments. But like, he fell out the bed and couldn't talk at three in the morning. How, how do you not, like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. And does that make me a bad Christian scientist or does it make her a bad wife? Because I kind of didn't forgive her for that, but it wasn't like I had it in those words. Like I wasn't, you know, but my uncle, his son, so my grandfather has this massive stroke. He gets no treatment. They bring him to a, one of those CS facilities or something. And, and now it's the moment is lost because it's, he's post, you know, post stroke and getting no, no, no uh, therapy. So he lived for 10 years, unable to talk or move oh, wow. hardly or anything, mostly because he didn't get any treatment right after it. So my uncle flies up and is visiting him in the CS facility. And my uncle is, he, he really never bought it. Um, and so he was the one to be like, dad, come on, man, this is, this is not the place to be. You need some real help. And he was like, Bruh. and so he had another stroke. That's what happens at the facility. And my uncle called 911 and they freaked out. And he brought him in, he went, went and waited at the door, brought him in, brought him to his father's room. And they put on whatever measuring device to, to I'll get the terminology wrong, but whatever it was, the highest that the machine went was 300 and it just went. So I don't know if it was his heart rate or his, you know, they're measuring something, right? And he was, and so he says to my uncle, if you don't get him to take this nitroglycerin right now, he's gone. I can't make him take it because he's going, no, 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 no. So my poor uncle had to force feed this nitroglycerin to his father as he's dying on the floor. And my grandfather is saying, no, 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 no. That's suicidal. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's suicidal. He saw these symptoms for four years and everybody else did too. He was getting nosebleeds in the shower. He was passing out driving. He was, he was having little seizures that nobody was mentioning to anybody else in the family. Um, 
my mother saw it coming and he wouldn't, he would not talk, would not allow anybody to bring it up to him. And she uh, gave him a sealed letter as they left after a trip to come see us and said, please read this. And when she went to clear out his stuff after the stroke, he, she found it sealed in a drawer. And she thought, you know, okay, I could be hurt or I could view this as he was afraid that if he read it, it would work. And so he wouldn't read it because he couldn't do it. And that's like, it's, I don't, I think that Christian scientists at the end are, they believe that they are acting out of religious principles. And I don't think that they are. I think that when you're in that much pain, you are not using your prefrontal cortex anymore. So any skill that you do have for prayer or whatever, or calming yourself or whatever, you're, you're not accessing that anymore. You are in, you are off the pain charts. And um, so if you won't go to a hospital at that point, it's because you are afraid to go to a hospital. You're afraid. You're not a Christian scientist who doesn't do that sort of thing. That's just, nobody is left in that place at the end. It's, it's abject terror. Yeah. And, and, uh, and that's how both of my grandparents died. Both my grandfathers died because they, they were absolutely terrified. Um, and, and it saved one of my grandmothers because she said, this is bullshit and I'm going to the doctor and found out she had an inactive thyroid for 20 years. Um, and I think that then saved my dad when he had heart symptoms and he went, cause I was shocked that he went in, absolutely shocked. So grateful and relieved. Um, and he, he navigated it very gracefully um, and did whatever they told him to do. Um, and I, I think that seeing his mom make that change in the end of her life and, and live the last 20 years of her life with proper care and, and have a, a, a decent exit. Um, I think that legalized it for him. I, I, I perhaps. Um, yeah. But I, but I was, I was really proud of him and grateful that he went in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact is, you know, we're all going to die. <laughs> a lot of us are going to get cancer, which sucks. I hate that reality, but it's true, but at least we can be somewhat comfortable. Yeah. We don't have to die like animals out in the woods, you know? I mean, that's how my mother died. We don't know what killed her. We'll never know. But my sister and I assume that it's cancer. And, um, you know, I'm just haunted by the the terrible suffering, the terrible, terrible suffering all alone, literally like an animal. She just sort of crawled away and died by herself. And it's just, she didn't deserve that. No. She did not deserve that. Nobody deserves that. She deserved comfort and pain pills <laughs> And her two daughters by her side saying we loved her. That's what should have happened. Yeah. And she could have had that even with the even with the trouble that she was causing at the end, because you did know who she really was. You were able to say this is not is not a character for her, you know? Um Yeah. Yeah. I it, see, I, I think so much like the hospice community, there's a lot of overlap there with like CS elder care. Um but it's just that it's given to people who shouldn't be only receiving hospice care because they could have a better standard of life. Like if there was an ideology there blocking it, like those two could merge. Like there's just an acceptance. We're just going to care for you. We're going to make this better, but they can't even reach out for that for themselves. Yeah. Why not? And the other part that, 
I'm sure I, I'm hoping not everyone goes through, but I would imagine my mother at least went through is dying, feeling like a failure. Yes. You know, so to add insult to injury, not only are you going through unspeakable physical agony, yeah, but I, I didn't fix it. Yeah. I, didn't I never got it. it. I don't understand something. Yeah. Yeah. I never got it. Other people got it. I couldn't get it no matter how hard I tried. She chased it her whole life. If it wasn't Christian science, it was something else trying to, trying to get it right. And you know, that's, that's, I try to figure out what commonalities there are in people who end up in Christian science. And I think the reason it's so hard and is number one, because there aren't as many as you think, because people are born into it. So it's like, it just changes all the, you, it's not, it's not the same as, as a cult that people find. It's just not the same. So you can get any kind of person. Um, and then, you know, to the question, well, what makes the difference between someone who gets out and someone who doesn't? God, I don't know. Um, because there isn't necessarily anything in common to begin with because anybody can be born into Christian science. But of course, you're going to have your own reactions to that and your family and this kaleidoscopic, all these differences between little, you know, different lives. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think one of the questions I like to ask people or sort of get to is, do you think there was something in you that made you able to get out, whereas others couldn't? And because I've thought about this a lot, and people have asked me, you know, my husband has asked me, how were you, you know, what was it about you that you were able to get out of this? Because a lot of people can't. And I think I, I've given it a lot of thought, and I boil it down to, I, as much as my mother died of this thing and, and kept with it that she always had this sort of rebellious spirit. And I think in a weird sort of way, Christian science was a rebellion for her because her parents were not religious. And it was sort of this, you know, the, if you're going to rebel against your non-religious parents, you become religious. <laughs> it's one of those things. Yeah. And I, so I always had this sort of rebel spirit of, you know, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And eventually, you know, I got that from her a hundred percent and eventually it worked against what she wanted because I ended up rebelling against Christian science. <laughs> and that's so my my current partner also grew up in a cult-like religion. And so that's just our favorite topic, right? And something that he said to me was um hang on, it's right here and I'm gonna forget. Oh yeah, right. He says he was saying that high high control religions, cults, even even you know Christianity, they hand you the keys to get out when they tell you to study the Bible. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, because everything you need to walk away is right there. If you, uh, yeah, like I, one of the other admins in groups uh, said it also really wisely. It's like, you know, I, I, was, I looked deeply into the Bible for answers and I was horrified by what I found. Um, so yeah, I, I uh, I think that in my case, the reason I share that is that I was taught self-examination or, or, you know, that's what I picked up on the most, you know, maybe that, I'm sure I could have had some predilection, but that's where I found myself, uh, you know, in my, in my childhood years was, was using Christian science to look around in my brain and find all the little monsters in the corners that might be error. But that same self-examination let helped me navigate the territory when I was leaving 
and gave me the the hardware to to be able to exist on the other side of it um but i don't know that that's unique um and i think there might be like many 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 reasons why somebody makes it out maybe for some people it is witnessing a horrible death for some people it is seeing that they maybe just almost endangered their child um you know having to go into having to go for psychological help because the state of your life is in a certain place and then those ideals you see they conflict and they push them out like all these are all, all different you know different manifestations <laughs> trigger yeah. word and um, trigger word trigger word like yeah i i think i i think that it sounds like an ad for the xcs group too but i think honestly yeah finding finding support yeah Right, finding because when once I saw, well, there really is a community. Okay, is there a community for experts? Oh, there is. I see. You know, and then you're basically in group therapy with them, um, and you're getting to see all these mirrors, and you're getting all this information, and it advances you more quickly. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you. Um, I haven't brought this story up yet because it's 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 very it's silly, <laughs> but it it was if I honestly look back at what the real like kicker was for me, yeah. there was a, there was an incident. Yep. Yep. And this was it. And it's okay. really petty, but it was just the thing that made me go. Sometimes that's what makes it make you see it. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> I was 20 years old and I very much into CS and um, I took my first solo trip abroad. I'd saved up money. I really wanted to go to England. I wanted to do the whole like Beatles pilgrimage, super into the Beatles, went to Liverpool and we had a Christian science friend who's who had grown up in England and um, her mother was there and I could stay with her for a few days. Older lady, super nice. And I was like, great. So I stay with this lady and she has uh, another friend there who's a practitioner, an English woman. I'm going to guess probably 60s, 70s. Mm-hmm. And and at one point I borrowed the the friend's mom's sweater because she made it very clear like oh anything in this house is yours you know just take what you need don't worry about it so I borrow her sweater or what I thought was her sweater and I forgot to put it back and because it had only been like a few hours and turns out it was this other lady's sweater she's going where's my sweater where's my sweater and I had this moment of oh okay do I admit that I have it or do I just kind of like pretend so I was like okay I'll be honest and I brought it to her and I said oh I'm so sorry I borrowed this I thought it was this other lady's and she just like went off on me, like off, like that is so rude. Are they all that rude where you come from? And just like total character assassination. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and in that moment I was like, fuck all of this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that was it. That's all it took was for yet another like older Christian science lady Yes. To be mean to me. Yeah. Yeah. But I was like, you know what? I've been putting up with this bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. Of these non-empathetic, non-caring, non-kind older women. (laughs) Yeah. Including my mother. It's like my whole life. (laughs) Like they have compassion fatigue, but they haven't been compassionate. (laughs) It's just like the years of pretending to be compassionate just wears them down. Yeah. I mean, she just like exploded on me. And I, and I was just, that was, that was a huge step out where I just felt it it was the lack of compassion, the lack of human understanding that I had made a mistake, that I was being honest, like the complete, and that was so Christian science to me. Like, you're not allowed to make a mistake. You're not allowed to be human. 
and I just, I was just done. And that was like, I think I was like 50% out after that incident happened. Yeah. You know, because I was so mad. You know, the I, irony is later that night, I, I tiptoed down to the kitchen and I overheard her on the phone talking to her practitioner saying that she was really just really feeling poorly and just I'm just so frustrated that I just can't seem to get a handle on this thing she obviously was having some medical problem that I was unaware of um and I it it gave me this odd empathy I was like oh so she's not feeling well that's why she lashed out at me like that you know and I was like that's very not Christian science of me to say that to give her a pass because she was ill so it's like, I'm not like these people. I'm not, I'm not this, this isn't me, you know? Yeah. I, um, I remember having, I, I didn't talk much about measles, uh, on here because I've got the big long story on the website, but I was at Prin during one of the measles outbreaks and was extremely ill. Um, and the lack of compassion was, was so startling that we were actually able to see it. You know, even even like card carrying CS kids. Um, you want to give a little I, background on this this outbreak because this was a big deal. This was a big one. This was uh, 1989. It made it into the CDC. Um, they were they were hiding kids and moving them from house to house so they wouldn't find the sick ones. So this was a measles outbreak at Principia. Yeah, the Christian Science um, College and School. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was the upper. It was both campuses, but the 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 center of the outbreak was the upper school. Um, the conditions were that of a third world country during that epidemic. It was they had no idea how to handle it, and it happens there every couple of years. So that's mm. not really they don't really have an excuse. Um, but I had a, there was a couple of moments during that. Um, I definitely had a a fever high enough to cause hallucinations for more than a day. Um, I, I remember crawling down the hall to the bathroom on my hands and knees to get a hot washcloth because I was dying of pneumonia. Mm. So I could not breathe through my nose or my throat. Wow. If I tried to breathe through my throat, there was so much mucus that I would choke continually and breathing through my nose was not an option. So it would reach the point where I was beginning to die of pneumonia and I don't I mean I don't I mean I don't have proof of that and I don't mean to be dramatic but it's like I don't I mean wasn't I like I couldn't breathe <laughs> I could not I mean I was like <gasps> okay so I would crawl down the hallway on my hands and knees to the bathroom to get a hot washcloth and nobody ever noticed <laughs> which is nobody not checked possible. in on you nobody yeah but they would appear the moment I returned to my room because they were convinced that I was trying to treat my chapped lips with the, with the wet washcloth. And they needed me to know that that was not gonna work, which is true. Um, offering some chapstick would have been nice. Um, not appearing the second I got back to my room and yanking the washcloth away from me as they say, this is what she goes, she goes, she goes, she goes sweetheart, we, we can't be looking to material means comfort how about some vaseline what <laughs> oh my gosh and she's just my lips were bleed cracked and bleeding 
and nothing gets the attention of a Christian scientist like a cosmetic problem. That's that's the one boy. Because um, you can see it. Yeah. And so she's she's telling me, and I and she's yanking this thing away from me repeatedly. And I'm like trying to tell her I'm dying. I can't breathe through my throat or my nose. Um, and she would take it away, and I would just crawl back down the hallway for it again. Like Ugh. it was a scene. That's there was real tears. Um, it was it was it was it's a miraculous that more kids didn't die there's like usually like one kid a year dies when this happens um the other thing that that comes that always sticks out to me from that time is um they wouldn't let any of us work with our regular practitioners because they felt it was better if we worked with local practitioners who could visit us which they didn't so really i think it was just a way to like fund the local practitioners in st louis and so I was assigned some random ass woman who I'd never met and wasn't allowed to call a practitioner from birth. Not that she was that comforting either. And the night that I, one night I was moved from one location to the next, which was supposed to indicate that I was getting better. And, but as you're getting better from, from having a raging fever for days and days and days, along with a heavy cold, guess what you get? An ear infection. So I get this horrific, I've never in my life felt pain like this. It was unbelievable. And I call, I start calling this practitioner repeatedly. There's nobody noticing around the campus house that this is happening. They're like, stop and, you know, help me. So I start calling her repeatedly and she gets pissed off. And as I'm hysterically crying, saying, I feel like my head's going to blow up. I feel like my ears are exploding. Help, help, help. And she was like, you're just going to have to get control of yourself. There's nobody there to help you. And I'm not there. And this is just error. And you need to, you know, whatever. You've had enough. You've indulged this for long enough. And I was just like, what the hell is happening right now? Yeah. I thought somebody was talking about like, a, you know, a practitioner barking in your ear. That was like, I get it from that. Like, just like, what? I'm sorry, I'm just busy over here dying. Um, the the lack of compassion is is troubling. And um, that's that's probably one of the things that I am left with the most. Like I I'm always like, is my compassion fake? Am I faking it? Do I actually feel compassion for anybody? I mean, I'm great at looking like it, but then also sometimes I just like completely forget to do the right thing but I'm like very people focused. So why do, do I have no compassion? <laughs> and I, I, don't, I think that I do have compassion, but it, it just, it's a very tangly conversation. Yeah. It's complicated for us. Yeah. Cause we were raised with, with little or none. A lot of compassion with no care. Yeah. That's not actually compassion. That's <laughs> putting on an affectation that'll make you feel like it's okay to not do anything. I think that's why they're so false syrupy, syrupy, sweet because that's the only thing that would make it deceptively look like it wasn't complete neglect and like cultural sociopathy. Yeah. But then occasionally that curtain falls and we see, you know, when we get barked at, I certainly had a couple of conversations with practitioners over the phone like that, where they, they were just angry that I called them Making late me look bad, frustrated. <laughs> and they would just like bark at me like, well, you're just going to have to blah, blah, blah. Cause I'm not on right now. Click you know? <laughs> and again, like, I'm sure there are doctors that act like that occasionally. Everybody snaps, everybody gets frustrated, everybody has a bad day, but you sort of, you add those moments in to all of the other things. <laughs> and it paints a complete picture of what life in Christian science is actually like, 
you know yeah. and these things aren't all coincidences yeah yeah <laughs> So you survived the measles outbreak. Yeah, yeah I survived the measles outbreak. Um, wow. I also survived diphtheria, which was fun. Um, it, I remember it took them a week to get me treated because they didn't know what it was. And then my doctor said, I finally found a picture of what you have in a journal of, um, what would be the right way to say a disease that no one has anymore? You know, whatever. So basically she went into a journal of stuff nobody has anymore because she was like, wait, she's not vaccinated. And then she found what was wrong with me. She found, found that it was diphtheria. Wow. Um, so that, that was a very unique experience. Cause I was like, I was seeing this, but medical professional be like, this is not a cold. What the hell's wrong with her? And having to go research, you know, based on, okay, well, I guess it could be something that is vaccinated against cause she hasn't been vaccinated. And Oh, there it is. Eradicated um, diseases basically. Yeah. 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 Um, the, the, one thing I wanted to mention, um, and that, and that basically I think um, covers everything I was going to try to say on mine. So anything else you want? Um, I <sighs> forgot what I was going to say. Yeah, I hate when that happens. Um, diphtheria. Oh yeah. Okay. If I'm on the track for medical care, like if I'm in with a certain office and I see them sequentially, I can do that. But when a medical problem arises, I am screwballs. Like there's something very wrong with my like ability to assess how much care I need. Um, I, I almost had a burst appendix because I wouldn't go in because I kept telling myself it was a symptom of something else, even though it went on for four days. So it couldn't have been the thing I was comparing it to. And I finally had to call 911 and have an ambulance take me because I waited so long that I became like terrified and incapacitated. Um, and I got to the hospital, they scheduled me for surgery and literally as they're wheeling me in, I felt it start to go. Like the, the pain just changed dramatically. All of a sudden it was like this hot crackling. And I was like, oh man, I, mm, I'm glad that I'm not gonna feel a birth appendix, but boy, I think I cut it about 10 minutes away. Like, wow, get me in there now. Um, I have, I have like horrible dental problems and I just won't, just won't deal with it. So like, that's, that's kind of where I see some of the mental health dysfunction. Um, I don't, I do not. I, and I will, I will strike back against someone telling me to go in, you know? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. You, you, yeah. I'm sure you would go in if you had some stomach pain and sit in it. I don't want to sit in an office for four hours. I'll go if it gets bad. And they're like, mm, you haven't left the bed in two days. You know, it's like, there's just something yeah, Something's it seems crazy. like ex-Christian scientists tend to go either to the hypochondria yeah. area. Or or they just don't quite. Yeah. yeah. Or we just still let things go too long, suffer needlessly. <laughs> you yep. know, and and again, as Jeremy pointed out, our United States healthcare system doesn't help because everything is expensive and difficult to get. And you know, if 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 healthcare were were free and easily accessible might be a little different for us you right. know there are definitely times i would have gone in for things if i'd known it wasn't going to cost me something yeah right you know yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here we are <laughs> in the real world um i think i'm going to wrap up is there anything else you want to add or um i don't think so i think i think i 
we covered the bases. Well, I will ask you the, the two final questions, even though we kind of went over this already, sure, but yeah. do you think Christian science is a cult? Um, so the answer I put down was yes and, um, because because I do think it's valid to say, but all religions are. Also though, I wanna respect that there is a difference between a cult, if there's criteria, if it doesn't fit the criteria and you're forcing it in, eh, there's plenty of very mild, look, look at UU, for example. Does that really strike you as cult? Well, I mean, you could argue. It's like a cult for, for leftist liberals or something, right? <laughs> but um, I think that's why I kind of like, if, 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 it, if you need to call it a cult, then you should call it a cult. If that gets in your way and it makes it too, feel like it'd be too aggressive, fine, fine. You don't have to call it that. Just keep yeah. doing what you, you know, kind of a thing. But yeah, yeah of course, it's a cult. <laughs> yeah. And do you think uh, Mary Baker Eddy was a shyster or a true believer or both? Yeah. So my answer on that one was she's the she's the Fox Mulder of of uh, religious shysters. She wants to believe. Yeah. Um, I I think that she. I think she grew up. Manip she was a manipulative person. She figured out that that being sickly was going to help her out. Um, but I also think that she was desperately searching for something. I don't know if anybody knows what it was. I don't know if it was really pain that she was having or if she was just having mental issues and used morphine for that. Like I, who knows, right? Um, I think she she basically started up a Ponzi scheme and called it a religion. So yes, she was a shyster. She plagiarized all her stuff. Um, yeah, she, we know that to be true. Yeah, right. She tried to destroy other women who had any kind of influence in the church, like yeah. shipped them out to other places, told stories about them, like, yikes. Um, she was she was a shyster, and I think that she she wanted to believe, and she kept trying to write rewrite it and make it work. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny to think that she probably had the same cognitive dissonance that we have all had. Just like, you kind of feel like you're onto something, but it also doesn't actually work. <laughs> yeah. And I think we have to consider the possibility that she wrote almost all of that textbook high on morphine. Yeah. Like, that might not be the case. Might not be the case. But like, if you read it with that with that possibility, it sort of holds up in court. It sounds like, yes, it really does sound like she's way out there because you start the sentence and end, and by the end of the sentence, they don't match up. Mm, but she's building on it, building on it for pages. But like yeah. you said, it's gobbledygook. Yeah, yeah. I I like that theory because recently in, again, my, my cultic studies, yeah. I've come to realize the role that drugs have played in a lot of these leaders. Yeah, it's, it's yes, that is very suspicious, isn't it? Yeah, because I, I didn't realize Jim Jones was a, red herring. Yeah. a major drug addict. Major pillhead, yeah. L. Ron Hubbard, major drug oh. addict. <laughs> yep. and, and, you know, these people were writers, they had textbooks, yep. they had, yeah, I, I don't think that should be discounted, the effects of major drug use on some of these people and what it, turn them into which they might have been anyway but it didn't help <laughs> so, yeah it's, it's nice to just kind of if we can know or figure it out apply that when we're looking at what they wrote yeah yeah okay well thanks elizabeth this has been Thank such you. a 
pleasure talking to you. I know we've kind of been in each other's orbits for many years, so I'm, I'm really uh, delighted to meet you in person-ish. Yeah, you too. <laughs> really cool. Thank you. Yeah. I love what you're doing. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Leaving Christian Science. Disclaimer, I'm not an expert. I'm not a historian. I'm not a therapist. I'm just an ordinary, imperfect human who had the misfortune of being born into Christian science. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the host. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace professional, medical, legal, or psychiatric advice.